Well, these guys did a great job, didn't they? Amen. Great job. Wow. Yeah, uh, my Jed did a phenomenal job preaching last week, and phenomenal job. Got a voice. Don't you hate people like that that can do it all? Only, you know, God said some have five talents and some have one. I got one. When I'm done preaching, you'll wonder if I have any. I guarantee you that. Ah, oh, excuse me. I'm my voice goes, and I have a lot of trouble. I thank the elders and especially Pastor Mark for the opportunity to share this morning. Um, I don't take it lightly. And let us open in prayer. Heavenly Father, the words to that song echo in my mind. May Christ be magnified in me. Lord, as I come to bring your word this morning... This will be absolutely useless and a waste of time. Lord, if you don't open up your word, all I can do is speak to the ear and mess it up. And I pray, God, your Holy Spirit will take this tough passage, make it clear, speak to open ears and open eyes that they might hear, understand, and do your mighty work today in Jesus' name. Amen. I work for PennDOT, and I remember one particular Ash Wednesday, we were all gathered in a shed. And I know what some of you are thinking, you guys never take a break off the road and gather in a shed, just for a little bit. And I remember there was a gang of guys in the shed, and we were having a religious discussion, you might call it. And I remember thinking, man, it's a perfect opportunity to witness and to share the gospel. And, and I was sharing with these guys, and it seemed to be just going great, man. And guys are asking questions, and it's going back and forth. And all of a sudden, one young fellow I really like, who I least expected it from, he walked sort of forward in front of everybody, and he said this. He said, yeah, I used to be a Christian. I grew up one, but now I know better. Is, I don't believe it anymore. I said, man, what do you mean you don't believe? I, I was caught off guard. And he said, too much of the Bible contradicts itself. And I said, no, no, no way. I, you know, I said the, the fellow's name. I said, it doesn't contradict itself. Let me, give me an example. And he asked me a question. And there were 12, 13 guys in that shed And you could tell they were all anxiously waiting for me to answer that question. And it was like, man, if I got the right answer, God's going to bring a revival to a PennDOT shed. And he asked me a question, and I had no answer. And the question he asked me, I want to ask you this morning. What about the pygmies in Africa? You ever been asked that? Ever considered that? In other words, here's what I'm asking. How can a loving God send someone to hell for all of eternity that has never even heard of the name of Jesus and doesn't know anything about the Bible? Ever wondered that? I remember Jeff asking me that. My wife and I support two girls who started a mission work in India, in the border of Nepal, up way up in the mountains. 
And I remember one time a friend of mine started a Bible study at U.S. Air. And through his Bible study with just one guy, Bible study started all over the country in different airports. Amazing what God did with this one little Bible study. And those different Bible studies began to take on different people and support them as missionaries. And I was taking these two sisters, Jana and Joni, and I can remember on the way there, they were in the car and I asked them, I said, what's the toughest thing about being a missionary where you're at? I mean, they lived in a shack hut up in the mountains in India. I said, like, afraid of snakes? And I'll never forget Jana said, no, nah, there's no snakes over 7,000 feet. We're way over 9,000 feet, so we don't have to worry about that. They said, now leopards are a different story. She said, everywhere you go, you never go alone, and you wear bells around your ankles. And she said, you talk as loud as you can. You never want a leopard to think you're all alone. And I said, wow, well, it's pretty obvious what the hardest thing you face in India. She said, oh, no, that's not even close. And I said, Jana, well, what is it then? She said, everyone we talk to, you start to share, they've never even heard the name Jesus. And she said, so many, when you go into them, you can leave them a Bible. They can't read. The Bible does no good. How many ever, ever might know Ken and Susaka? They're missionaries that have been through a lot of churches here. I see some hands. And Ken Saka heads up a, a Bible translation over in Africa. They translate the Bible in the New Testament from Greek into different African dialects. And I saw him about a year, year and a half ago, and I'll never forget. He was all excited. He said, we just worked on... One translation, we've got the whole New Testament into one of the dialects. He said, there's now 700 languages with the whole New Testament in Africa. And I said, man, that's awesome, Ken. I said, that pretty much covers it all, right? And he said, oh, no. There's over 2,000 languages in Africa. That means that less than half of the people in Africa have a New Testament in their language. That's just, you know, as you think about that, folks, how many have never heard the gospel? According to Wycliffe Bible translators, supposedly that's the largest. And I looked it up. We Google everything now. They said there's over 1,631 languages still that have not, no Bible at all. Wow, that's, that's to me. And I, that's how I can tell it really shocked you guys. Yeah. Now, with that being said, I understand that many of these people in these different languages have heard the gospel through satellite television, through the radio, or through missionaries that are on the ground. I understand that. But with that being said, there are still many who've never even heard of the name of Jesus. In fact, most reputable sites say between 1.4 and 1.5 billion people have never even heard of the name Jesus. Wow. Now, I said all that to ask you again. What about the pygmies in Africa? In other words, what about all those all over the world who've never heard the Bible or the name of Jesus? Are you telling me that if they don't get saved, they're not going to heaven, they're going to hell for all of eternity? Doesn't that seem harsh? Unmerciful? Almost, take off your holy hats for a minute. Unjust? Doesn't it? Oh, listen, folks. If you have your Bibles, open them to Romans chapter 1. I want to look at what God's Word has to say about this matter. I hope you're ready for a lot of Bible. I'll apologize, but I want, we want to do what the Bible says. There's three principles the Apostle Paul lays out in Romans chapter 1 
that will help us understand and answer, and answer the question, what about those that have never heard? The first thing Paul lays out in Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18, is this. Number one, I want to give you my first point. Get this. God has given everyone some light. Let me repeat that. God has given everyone some light. Look at Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. The Bible says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. You may want to underline or just take notice. Go back to verse 19. I want you to see three key phrases there. The first one, that which is known about God is evident in them. The New International Version, if you have that, it says this. It's plain to them. He's talking about unbelievers who didn't have a Bible. Look at the second half of verse 19. God made it evident or plain to them. Now look at verse 20. His attributes are clearly seen. Now, I don't want to belabor the point, but read again verse 20 with me. And note the phrase, so that they're without excuse. Look what it says. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. The question is, how has God's invisible qualities and divine nature been clearly seen? Are you ready? Tough answer. It's everywhere we look. Look at Psalm 19. I love Psalm 19. It says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. What are the heavens doing? What are the skies doing? How many of you will admit with me, this has been a beautiful fall, huh? Man, last week been a little cold, but we've had a beautiful fall. I don't know how many mornings I got up and the sunrises are unbelievable. The sunsets are unbelievable. I was going to work two weeks ago, and one of the bosses at work called me. Man, this has never happened. I was crossing the Chester Bridge, and the sun's coming up, and it's like the world was gold. And you know how it'll cast it down through the shadows and down across the water on that bridge, and everything was pink. And just at that minute, I mean, this is incredible. One of my bosses calls me, and he goes, are you looking at the sunset? I said, isn't it incredible? And he said this, man, he don't talk like this. I said, how can anyone not believe there's a God? Man, I went to this Psalm 19. I was praising God the whole way to work. I said, there you are, God, declaring your glory and showing your handiwork again. Oh, isn't God? The Bible says this, day after day, they pour forth speech. How often does God speak? Day after day, night after night, the psalmist says, their voice is heard. It says they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Where's their speech heard? I love what the psalmist does. He goes beyond earth 
And he said, God's speaking to the whole world. Look at me. I love you. Look at this. It's everywhere. Psalm 97, 6 says this. The heavens declare the glory of God and all people have seen his glory. Oh, I love that. The heavens and skies declare God's glory. Every day and every night, they declare there is a God. Do you realize every 365 and a quarter days, the earth orbits the sun. While the earth orbits the sun, the moon orbits the earth. All the while this is going on, oh, I'm getting confused. I got to slow down. Listen, listen, listen. Oh. All the while that's going on, the sun orbits the Milky Way galaxy. If either were off by one-tenth of one degree, this would all be kapush. And do you realize how fast you're spinning right now? 67,000 miles an hour. How many are dizzy? You're thinking, well, listening to you preach makes me a little dizzy. But other than that, isn't that incredible? God's got it all going perfectly. Isn't that great? But not only is God's glory declared every day and every night, his speech is heard everywhere and in every language. Oh, let me show you just one example. I could use millions. I won't, so hang in there. My wife loves birds. I mean, we have more bird feeders, and she feeds them better than me. That's hard to believe we got fat birds. But that's beside the point. I love woodpeckers. And do you realize there are over 180 species of woodpeckers in the world? They're in every country on earth. Have you ever listened to a woodpecker? 20 times a second, he hits a tree saying, there's a God, there's a God, there's a God, there's a God. 20 times a second. Do you realize if you were to take a nail and you were to drive it into oak tree, you wouldn't get all the way in, the nail would bend before it got in. The woodpecker pounds that in the average summer day 12,000 times. And I've never seen one take a Tylenol yet. Man, I mean, it's incredible, folks. Do you realize one hit at the G-force that a woodpecker puts into a tree would crush your skull and render your brain useless. He's doing this 12,000 times a day. And he's saying, look at God. You know, the whole time he's doing that, he has what scientists call a third eye. You ever wonder why the wood chips don't blind him? Because God's put a coating over his eye so that it doesn't hurt him when they come back. I guess evolution thought of everything, didn't it? Man. <laughs> Tell me God's speech isn't everywhere, huh? Ever watched a hummingbird? A hummingbird's wings go 53 times a second. He's going so fast during the day. You ever wonder what kind of generator's inside that thing? Oh, Tesla needs a hold of that thing. <laughs> 53 times a second, his wings move. He goes so hard during the day that at night, he actually stops breathing and his heartbeat slows down to 53 beats a minute. They call it torpor. God thought of everything, and he's showing us he's everywhere. Have you ever seen these monarch butterflies? Man, God puts paintings on them that are phenomenal, colors like no artist can draw. But have you ever thought about them? They fly from New Mexico to Canada and back again, over 3,000 miles. And do you know how much they weigh? Less than a gram, less than the average leaf in your yard. Isn't God everywhere? Isn't he incredible, folks? Every human being is responsible because the revelation of God in nature alone has communicated enough about God's existence for what they see. Can I give you one more? Don't walk out yet because I love this one. 
Jeremiah 8.7 says this, Yes, the stork in the heaven knows her appointed times, and the turtle dove and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. These four birds are all migrating birds. God says, I put in these birds to know the exact time to leave, to migrate. There's a bird, it's called the red knot. Now, if you've ever vacationed or been down to Myrtle Beach or Virginia Beach, you've probably seen some of these birds. These birds are incredible. They'll travel 18,000 miles a year, 9,000 miles one way. The red knot starts out in Argentina at the Straits of the at the Straits of Magellan at what's called Tierra del Fuego. It's where Magellan landed for the first time, and he saw all these fires going up, and so he named the land Tierra del Fuego, the land of fires. These red knots will start out at Tierra del Fuego and fly over Brazil, over the Caribbean Ocean, over Florida, over Georgia, over South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, and they'll land in the marshes of Maryland and Delaware at the exact same time as the horseshoe crabs are laying their eggs. They'll eat 135,000 of those eggs, and they'll head north to northern Canada, where they'll lay four brown speckled eggs. They'll hatch those eggs and stay with them till mid-July. About mid-July, Mama says, I'm out of here. I miss my Mama. And she heads back to Tierra del Fuego. About a week and a half later, Papa says, I miss my wife, and I'm tired of changing diapers. He heads back to Tierra del Fuego. About one month later, four baby birds with no GPS, no tracking system, no map or nothing, will fly 9,000 miles to meet mom and dad. There's a God, folks. He's an awesome God. Oh, listen, folks. He's everywhere saying, here I am. That's why only a fool would say there is no God. The psalmist would say in Psalm 14.1, and in Psalm 53.1, he would repeat it again. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Because God is everywhere in love speaking to everybody. Oh, listen. Only a fool can't see God. I love the country song. How many ever heard of George Strait, country singer? He wrote a song a long time ago, and I think the words apply to this. It's called, I Saw God Today. Let me read the words to you. Don't go to sleep yet. Just walked down the street to the coffee shop. Had to take a break. I've been by her side for 18 hours straight. Saw a flower growing in the middle of the sidewalk, pushing up through the concrete like it was planted right there for me to see. The flashing lights, the honking horns, all seemed to fade away in the shadow of the hospital at 508. I saw God today. I've been to church. I've read the book. I know he's here, but I don't look near as often as I should. Yeah, I know I should. His fingerprints are everywhere. I just looked down to stop and stare, opened my eyes, and then I swear, I saw God today. Saw a couple walking by. They were holding hands, and she had that glow. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice she was starting to show. Stood there for a minute, taking in the sky, lost in that sunset. A splash of amber melting into shades of red. I've been to church. I've read the book. I know he's here, but I don't look near as often as I should. Yeah, I know I should. His fingerprints are everywhere. I just look down and stop and stare, open my eyes, and then I swear I saw God today. Got my face pressed up against the nursery glass. 
She's sleeping like a rock. My name on her wrist, wearing tiny pink socks. She's got my nose. She's got her mama's eyes. My brand new baby girl. She's a miracle. I saw God today. You know what he's saying? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. All of us see his glory everywhere. You remember when the Russian cosmonauts went around the earth for the first time? Uh, Of course, most of you don't. You weren't even born yet. (laughs) And the ones that were don't want to admit it. So, But they... (laughs) Those cosmonauts came back. They'd been around the world, and they got all sort of cocky. I've watched interviews from back then, and they're all cocky as they get out, and they said this. We've been in the air. We've been around the world. We didn't see God. I love what Pastor W. Criswell, that pastor of First Baptist Dallas, said this. If only those cosmonauts had taken off their spacesuits, they would have seen God. I mean, (laughs) folks, they'd have seen God. Robert Jeffress writes in his book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven. A college professor once constructed an elaborate planetary model of our solar system, depicting the sun and other planets in their relative distance between one another. A student walked in and eyeing the model, he asked, Prof, who made this? No one, the professor answered. The student laughed and said, come on, Prof, who constructed this elaborate model? The professor repeated, no one. The student couldn't hide his irritation with his teacher's unresponsiveness. Then the professor added, if you can go out of this class, look around at nature, and believe this all just happened, then you should have no problem believing this intricate piece of work could happen without a creator. Isn't that the truth? Anyone and everyone who's ever lived can know there is a God even without reading the Bible or ever hearing a sermon. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 3. He points out three quick points in this verse. I want to hang on one. He said this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. We'd agree with that. Man, God has made some beauty, amen? It says this, he has set eternity in the human heart. Then he goes on to say, yet no one can fathom what God's done from beginning to end. We can't explain the brain. We can't explain the cells in our body. But I want to focus in. He said this. He has set eternity in the human heart. I love what Pastor David Jeremiah says. Solomon's point is that this world cannot satisfy the human heart. Humanity was created for eternity, which leads to a longing for something beyond this world. This longing for eternity is a reflection of humanity being created in the image of an eternal God. That is why you will never be satisfied with anything you get out of this world. You ever thought about that? It's not going to satisfy. God made you so that only he can satisfy you. You weren't made to be satisfied with what you've got here. You could keep grabbing, you could keep trying, but you can't hold on to it. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, writes this. Creatures are born with desires. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. There's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Oh, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that doesn't prove the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures 
We're never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. God's given everyone some light. Everybody. We've looked at that so far this morning. John 1.9 says this. That was the true light. Now, John, speaking of Jesus, he said, which coming into the world enlightens every man. That's very important. Every word of God is perfect. And he says this. John, talking about Jesus, said when Jesus comes in the world, he enlightens everybody. Everybody's been given light. I love what John Wolverd points out about this. He said, this does not mean universal salvation. We do not believe in that or general revelation, or even inner illumination. Instead, it means that Christ as the light shines on each person, either in salvation or in illuminating him in regard to his sin and the coming judgment. So I know what you're thinking. God's given everyone some light. Okay, Bob, I agree with you so far. But just knowing there's a God won't save someone from their sin. That doesn't mean the pygmies believe there's a God. That doesn't mean automatically they can be saved. I still have some trouble with that. All nature may prove there's a God, but it doesn't show the way of salvation. Just knowing or believing there's a God won't save a pygmy, and it won't save any of you. Let me show you the next two points. Number one, God's given some light. Number two, We are accountable to God for suppressing the light. Follow with me. Back to verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Other versions say who suppress the truth or they smother the truth. They suppress it in order they might live their own lives and not face conviction for it. The light starts to shine, and they start to suppress it. That's not what they want to hear. Look over at John chapter 3. You remember that great chapter? Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and most of us follow it to verse 16 and then stop. But I want us to pick up today at verse 18 and see what Jesus says. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Then Jesus says, this is the judgment. Okay, Jesus, what's the judgment? What do you mean? He says this, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Jesus makes it very clear in these verses. This is my sermon. Don't miss this. If you don't hear anything else, he makes it very clear. People do not fail to get saved because of a lack of light. If you're here and you're not saved, it is not because mama and daddy didn't raise you in a Christian home. It's not because you didn't go to church growing up. And some of us did. Here's why you're not getting saved. You don't get saved because... You refuse to follow the light you've received because you want to hold on to your sin. You know why the pygmies don't get saved? Some of them, of course. That's why. 
Oh, listen, folks, listen. If you're here and you don't get saved, it's not because God's not trying to make it clear to you. It's because of one thing. You really don't want to surrender to him. You really don't want to. I have a close friend, very successful. Good-looking guy, has a great marriage, great athlete. He became a millionaire before he was 50 years old. I mean, this guy has everything going for him, but he struggles terribly with depression and anxiety. And he and I talk a lot. Usually when he's down is when he wants to talk the most, and that's fine with me. And I share with him, man, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, he'll fulfill that emptiness. And we go back and forth, and usually his argument goes like this. Man, I know there's something or someone out there, maybe you want to call God or whatever, but I don't believe in this resurrection thing. I don't believe somebody can rise up from the dead, and I don't believe in a devil. No way. And about two years ago, he went through a terrible time. I mean, it was like his world was falling apart. And we were sharing, I says, if I give you something to read and something to watch, will you read it and watch it? He said, sure, I'll do it now. And I gave him a little book. He could read it in an hour and a half. I knew if I give him something big, you know, he, he ain't never going to read it. But this thing he could read it, it's very clear. And I gave him a set of videos called Twisting the Truth by a well-known pastor. It's phenomenal. You can't watch these and still believe it's not a devil. I mean, these are awesome. And I gave them to him. And the next few times I saw him, you know how you get nervous? I wonder what he's going to say. Hopefully God saved him. You know, you're praying for the whole nine yards. I see him once. I see him twice. I see him again and again. He never brings it up. About a month goes back, by, and he walks up to me, and he's carrying the book, and he's carrying the DVDs, and I says, hey, man, I told you you could keep them. How'd you like them? And I'll never forget what he said. I, he said this. I was so anxious to hear what he said. I didn't read it, and I didn't watch them. It's not for me. And I thought, that's exactly what Jesus said he's given you the light and you suppress it because even though you don't have much to hang on to you don't want to give it up and follow him that's why folks oh listen that's what jesus meant some don't want it even if they know it's true look at john 12 37 jesus says or the bible says there john writing but though he had done so many miracles before them yet they believed not on him they would not believe is what that means. It refers like over there in John chapter 2. Remember John chapter 2? The Bible says, and many believed on him. And the Bible says, but Jesus would not commit himself to him. You're like, Jesus, I mean, they believe on you. Why don't you commit yourself to him? What it's saying is they're not committed. They believe in the miracles he's doing. They want what they could get out. And that's what this passage is saying too. They would not believe on him. They had a head knowledge, but they're not willing to commit. Because of sin, the human race rebels not only the, against the idea of a Lord who has the right to rule over them, but also the eternal law of a conscience they suppress. Have you ever thought about the Pharisees and Sadducees? All the miracles they saw? Blind could see. Lame could walk. Deaf could hear. I mean, over and over again. They saw miracle after miracle. And I think the greatest one of all, do you remember their old John chapter 11? There's the story, Jesus has three friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Lazarus is sick, and Mary and Martha sent for Jesus. They said, please come quickly, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick, and we know you can heal him. And Jesus tells his disciples, chill out, guys, we ain't going nowhere. 
And he just sort of hangs out for four days. And Lazarus dies. And then four days later, Jesus decides he's going over there to see him. And you know the story. He shows up and he hasn't even hit town yet. And Martha comes out and she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's sort of rebuking Jesus. And he says, do you believe and I can do all that? Yeah, I believe in all that story. But she's still upset. Why would he let him die? And he comes into the town and he comes to the place and Mary says the same words, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus does something incredible. I want to pick it up at verse 43 of John chapter 11. Listen to these words. When Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now look at this. Now you, you got a picture. I know this is so far away from us right now. Let's picture we're at the cemetery up to Hill 145, okay? We're all gathered there, and one of your brothers, one of your sisters, your mom, your dad, your wife, you know, the husband, has died. And they're in the ground, all right? And you got Jesus to come with you, and we all go up there. And all of a sudden, Jesus calls out their name, and up through the mud they come. I mean, can you imagine that? Look what the Bible says. The man who died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now listen to the next few verses. These are messed up. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he'd done believed in him. Now, that, that's got to be wrong. Many? If I just saw that, wouldn't we all believe? Look at the next verse. But some... But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and Pharisees could be in the council and were saying, what are we going to do? This man's performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe on him and the Romans will come and take away our place in our nation. They did not deny the miracle, but they refused to submit to the Christ. I don't know if you've ever paid attention when you read the Bible. They never denied Jesus' miracles. They knew he was God. That's the dangerous part. They didn't deny them. That's why Romans 1.21, back to our passage, says, even though they knew God, it says they knew him, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. When a person starts to resist the light, something begins to change within them, and they come to a place where they cannot. I'm not talking about somebody the first time they've turned on the radio and thought, hmm, that was very interesting. But when the Holy Spirit of God begins to push on you and to show you that this is the truth, this is right, you need to surrender your life and to follow him. And you start to resist the light. God starts to send darkness. Remember Judas? You ever thought about this? The last words, some of the last words in the book of John end like this. All the books in the world couldn't contain all the miracles Jesus did. Judas saw most of them. And he hung himself and died and went to hell. That's unbelievable. I remember, true story, this sounds like one of them preachers made up stories, but it's not. It's true. I was out on visitation with my pastor in Virginia. He used to, they used to run a bus route every Sunday. And we'd just come in, and I was in the gym shooting the basketball. And a young lady came in about my age at the time, and she went up to Pastor Eric, and she said, Pastor Eric, will you please go visit my dad? He's dying of cancer. And Eric said, sure. And he yelled back, he said, Bob, come on, we're going to go visit somebody. 
And I remember it was one of them days in Virginia, it was about 150 stinking degrees. It was so hot. And we walked into this trailer, and in this trailer it was about 250. And there was a guy laying on a sort of a couch, and he had three or four blankets on. And he couldn't have weighed 80 pounds. And I remember my pastor was obvious, he'd talked to this guy before, and he got down on his knees, and he began to share with that guy face to face. And that guy would listen, and every so often he would whisper something. And I couldn't hear it, I was too far back. And Eric would share, and he would whisper. We stayed there about 15, 20 minutes. Finally, we left. We got in the car, drove back to the church, and we no more got to the church, and his daughter called. She said, Eric, Pastor Eric, daddy's gone, he died. And I, I couldn't help. I had to say, Eric, what did he keep whispering to you? And I'll never forget. Pastor Eric said he kept saying, I can't. I can't. I can't. Wow. As I think of this passage, those words echo through me. In Matthew 13, 15, the Bible says, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and be converted, and I will heal them. When a person refuses the obvious light shown, God will send them darkness. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. And with all deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. You notice Paul is writing the love of the truth. He's saying God loved you so much that he's willing to take all of your sin and in turn give you all of his righteousness. And to do that, he came and dwelt as flesh and died and gave his life for you. And the passage says this, they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, listen to the next, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all might be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. If you're here and you're not saved and the Holy Spirit comes to you and he's telling you need to give up your sin and come and fully surrender to God and you feel that tug right now, God said, I want to take your sin. I want to give you my righteousness. I paid to do it all. Will you take it? And the Holy Spirit says, I know I need to do that. And he's shining that light on you right now. Please, I beg you, don't smother it. Listen to what the rest of our passage says. When truth is rejected, man falls for lie. Romans 1.24, God also gave them up. Romans 1.26, God gave them over. Romans 1.28, God gave them over. What a dangerous condition. Listen to John 12, 39 and 40. But though he'd done so many miracles before them, yet they didn't believe on him that the saying Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord be revealed? Therefore they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I heal them. Proverbs 1.21 says this. Now, Proverbs 1 is speaking of wisdom. It uses the word wisdom, but it's referring to Jesus if you follow it in the context. And he says this. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. 
because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Wow. Number one, God's given some light. Number two, every one of us and the pygmies are accountable to God for suppressing the light. And number three, and this is my last point, when you respond to the light, God opens your eyes. I love this. Look back at the very beginning, Romans 1, 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from light to light as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. There are many examples of this in the Bible over and over again. When somebody responds to the light God gives them, God shines more light. But one of my favorites is the Ethiopian eunuch. I love this story. If you listen to Acts 8.26, here's how God works. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza, a desert road. Here's the background. Philip is an evangelist. He's in Samaria preaching and he's having a revival like we unfortunately ain't never seen. People are coming to God everywhere. In fact, the outreach is growing so much that they send for Peter and John. That'd be like sending for Charles Haddon Spurgeon and Dwight Moody. I mean, the work's phenomenal. And God calls Philip and he says, I want you to leave this revival. I want you to go 100 miles out into the desert and wait there till I tell you what to do. And Philip goes. He's out in the desert. There's the Ethiopian eunuch. He goes to Jerusalem to worship God. He's heard about this Jesus, but he doesn't understand. So he goes to church, sort of. He goes to Jerusalem to worship God, but he comes away empty, like a lot of people that go to church. They go to church, but they don't really get a lot out of it, and they come back not getting anything. And that's where he's at. And he opens the Bible, and this is how God works. And when he opens the Bible, it's Isaiah 53. I'm sure that was just by chance. That's the story of Jesus, why he came, how he came, what he did, and why he did it. And he's reading it. And as he's reading, Philip's walking down the road. And he hears him reading and He says, sir, do you understand? God told him, go join yourself with this chariot. And he goes, sir, do you understand? He says, how can I if someone doesn't explain it to me? You see, the Holy Spirit's drawing. He's searching. God sends the light. I love that, folks. Philip goes up with him. He shares the gospel with him. And the Bible says this. Then the Spirit said to Philip, what, join the chariot? Philip ran and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, you understand? He said, how can I unless someone? He's searching the Spirit's drawing. The Holy Spirit will always send a light to a searching heart. Always. As Philip explains the Bible to him, he begins to understand the gospel because the Spirit of God was opening his mind to the truth. And I love this. The eunuch is saved and he's baptized. And the Bible says, he thought to himself, oh, how much I've given up. No. It says, and he went on his way rejoicing. Do you know when you come to Christ... It won't be about what you gave up. You'll be amazed at what you've gained. Oh, listen, I love it, God. If you're here and you're searching, God will send a light. When the pygmy responds to the light, God says, do you remember how it worked? Do you remember there was a harlot named Rahab? She lived in Jericho. She was the only one in this filthy town, God said, to destroy. But because there was one person, 
God sent spies, and they accidentally landed at her house and shared the gospel. Oh, listen, folks. Do you remember Ruth in May, in May? Oh, easy for you to say. In Moab, God sent a backslidden Jew to give her the gospel. There was the eunuch in the desert, as I said, and God sent Philip through a vision. There was Cornelius in Caesarea, and God gives Peter a dream. God wants to give you that light right now. And as the singers come back up, over and over, God's reaching out to anyone who's willing to come to him. It may be you this morning. We've looked at the pygmies. What about you? If you're, not, if you're here and you're not saved, my prayer has been for four weeks solid, and some of you don't even know it, that God would put that light right in your mind right now and that you would respond, that you wouldn't smother, that you wouldn't crush it, but that you would respond. Jesus said he came to give you life and life more abundant. Will it cost you something? Yes, it will. But in the end, if you don't cost, come to Christ, it will cost you everything. Will you come today?